Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. What you're about to hear is the all-time number one most popular episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, and there's a reason for that. This episode features Amanda Townsend, an SLP in private practice in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Amanda started her private practice just like you, a regular SLP with a big dream. She started off as a school SLP who loved the kids, but did not love the job and was starting to get burned out. She was getting frustrated with the high caseload and high workload, paperwork, and of course, no time for lunch. She felt ineffective and that she wasn't helping these kids make the progress that they needed to. Sound familiar? So she started using every free moment outside of work to figure out how to start her own private practice, and she started on the side with just a few clients. Here's a sneak peek of what we talk about. We talk about how Amanda shifted from being a stuck SLP to a successful private practitioner. We talked about her transition from the schools to part-time private practice to full-time private practice and what that looked like for her. We talk about how she handled the fear of failure, how she shifted from home visits to a brick and mortar clinic. We talk about how she explains private pay to parents, which helps them understand and get on board. And we also talk about what she learned from the book Profit First and how it made her feel better about being a business owner without a business background. Now, I want you to listen to the whole episode first. But after you get to the end, if you want to start your own private practice, just like Amanda did, head over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar and watch my free training where I go through the ins and outs of private practice. Now let's meet Amanda. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Before we dive in, can you please tell us your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yeah, my name is Amanda Townsend. I am located in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and my practice is called Simply Spoken Therapy. Fantastic. And 
Um, Amanda and I, we're on video right now. So where in Wisconsin are you in like, don't Wisconsin people do like this palm up thing? <laughs> yeah. So, so here's Wisconsin. I'm like right at the, I'm right on the border of Wisconsin and Illinois, southeast on the lake. Okay. So if you guys were looking at her thumb, she's at the very, very bottom of like her hand thumb crease way down. So if my wrist is Illinois, yeah. I'm like right there. Okay. I actually worked in the schools in Illinois. Oh, fantastic. Well, we didn't even plan this, but that might be a great place to get started, right? Would yeah. you start as an SLP in the schools? I, I did. I did. So um, when I graduated, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. Um, so I immediately was doing um, school-based therapy, and I did that for 11 years, and I loved it. I loved every single moment of it. I loved all the kids. I loved the community. Loved what I did, did not love the job. Um, so kind of was getting a little bit burnt out. And so within that, I kept trying to find what was going to be like the magic like setting. So I did a little bit of, you know, pediatric outpatient. That didn't cut it for me either. Then I was like, well, maybe I want to do like adults and I want to do inpatient at the hospital. And so I did some PRN work with, you know, inpatients um, and adults in the hospitals. And that wasn't really sparking me either. And I just, I knew that like kids were my passion. And eventually it kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, enough is enough. You need to do this on your own. Um, and so that's kind of where I've always been is just within the schools. I love it. So you were, you felt um, restless, it sounds like. Oh, very much. Very much, right? So you, you had something that you liked, you knew you liked kids, but there was something that wasn't feeling quite right about the job itself. Like not yeah. the profession, you love the profession, but the job. Yeah, I just, I didn't like the idea of the politics of education, the high caseloads, high workloads, um, you know, and when I would go to administration with concerns and say like, listen, like I have a lot of things that I'm trying to do and I need more time for that indirect paperwork. And even the kids, like I barely had enough time to take a lunch and have any planner prep time. And their response was always, well, just have a bigger group and I was just I'm like no no that, that's not the answer no it's not the answer and you know I didn't like having to you know be very careful about what I said in meetings about my recommendations about what we could or couldn't offer about who was going to pay for what and it was just it felt really kind of icky to me. And I didn't like having to be careful about what I was saying. I wanted to have really open, honest conversations with parents about this is what I'm seeing, you know, and not being afraid of certain, like, like the, the idea of being afraid to use the word autism, that was a big thing in my district. And I felt like it was one of those things where Parents don't know what they don't know, and they're looking for guidance from the professionals who are working with their children, and I can't say that word because the parents might not be ready, air quotes, be ready. And it just, I, I didn't like 
that. And I didn't like that I was feeling ineffective, that I was working so hard just to keep my head above water, that I wasn't making the progress with the kids that I wanted to. And, you know, my, my, my dear sweet husband, at one point I came home and I'd had a particularly rough day and he just looked at me and he's like, Amanda, like, why don't you just make your own practice already? You've talked about it. Why don't you just do it? Love it. And so I did it. <laughs> well, you, it's like, it's so wonderful to have that support, right? From, you know, a spouse or family or whatever, right? And it sounds like, you know, he sort of knew that that's where you were maybe heading, maybe even sort of like before you had solidified that in your own mind. Oh, for sure. Like when I was like, oh, I'm going to get a part-time job at the hospital to see how I like that. He was like, why? <laughs> and I was like, well, because like, I'm not really like super happy at the schools, but I like the schools, but I don't really know. And he's like, okay, like, I think you should just start your own, but I just wasn't ready. And so finally after, you know, you, you try to make the best of any situation that you're in. And I'm always like that person where I'm going to try to make it work and I'm going to put in everything that I can until I've exhausted all of my possibilities. And I kind of gotten to that point and you know, yeah. So how did that transition actually play out? Right. So you were getting frustrated. Things were feeling icky. Mm -hmm. Your sweet husband said like, let's just, why don't you do this? So yeah. what happened next? So after that, I was full, like, and I, I'm a all-in kind of girl. Like, once I decide something, like, I'm going to do it, and nobody's going to be able to stop me. So I spent probably the next four, five months researching. I would research any time that I had a moment free, and I was looking on the Facebook group. I was looking at your website. I was listening to podcasts. I was Googling things. Like, I was gathering all of my information that I could while still working full time. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I finally was like ready and set and I had, you know, talked with my CPA and I had gotten my LLC formed and I had my business bank account, I had everything in order, my policy forms, all of that. Then I started seeing clients on the side. So I would work full time see my clients after work uh, a handful of days a week and just kind of slowly build. Um, I did that for one year, for one school year, I should say. And then my, my boss was retiring that year. And so she was a little bit agreeable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I came to her um, at the end of that school year. And I just said that I, you know what, next year I really want to work part-time because I'm working on my own private practice. Now, because the school was in Illinois and I live in Wisconsin and it's like a 40 minute drive from where I was, I didn't have to worry about that conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so she was really supportive and really excited for me. And so, you know, I talked to some of the other therapists in my district and we kind of figured out a way to make it work. And I was lucky enough that, you know, I was able to work just three days a week for an entire school year. Mm -hmm. And after that school year, then I transitioned to full time and I, I quit that job. Oh, fantastic. That must have felt so good. You know, it was, 
it was really bittersweet because while I was giving up a 40 minute drive and Mm -hmm. I was giving up a secure income Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was giving up, you know, all the great people that I work with, like I was jumping into this first and it was a little bit nerve wracking. And it's like, it's hard to give up something that, that you, you like what you do. And I liked the people and I liked the students. And so it felt a little bit bittersweet having to walk away from all of that. But at the same time, I was so excited. I was so excited. Well, it's, 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 there's something powerful about taking a situation into your own hands, right? Oh, absolutely. When it's scary and there's lots of unknowns and that part is terrifying Mm -hmm. for sure. Right. But there's something empowering about making a decision. And like you said, going all in and figuring out how to make something work. And I would assume that as you were doing your, the three days at the school, your caseload, your private caseload was starting to build and you were starting to see like, Hey, wait a minute, I can actually make this shift. Yes, no, for sure. And, you know, while I was, you know, working that, you know, kind of part-time in both settings, like I was doing home visits mm-hmm. and all of the money that I was making through all that, I just kept saving and saving and I would reinvest into the materials that I needed and assessments. And, you know, I just kept building my, my, you know, little practice and eventually kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, I can do this. And I kind of went into it with the mindset of failure isn't an option. You know, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, any speech language pathologist doesn't really have a hard time finding a job. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many different settings that we can work in and there's, you know, early intervention and private practices and schools and hospitals. There's so many options that at the end of the day, if something happened and I just truly wasn't able to make this work, I knew that I had other options. Um, But failure wasn't an option. It was going to work. This was my plan A and I wasn't really trying to think about plan B. I love that. This was my plan A. Mm -hmm. That's great. I've never heard anyone really articulate it that way. I love that. Yeah. Having a pl- everyone talks about plan B, what's the plan B, whatever. But I, no. you ha- you're a plan A, all in kind all of, in. I love it. <laughs> so, okay. So now you've, you've quit your job, you're yeah. all in. And at that time, first of all, how long ago was that? When I quit my job? Yeah. Oh, just like this past school year. So June 2018. Okay, great. And we're in December 2018. Okay. Yeah. So you've, so what have the past couple months looked like for you? It's been interesting. So, um, you know, I now have like a brick and mortar. Um, I was doing home visits for a while and I just found that, so Kenosha is quite large and to get from one side of town to the other, it could be a 30 minute drive. And I just found that I was getting phone calls from people and I couldn't fit them in because it was my drive time. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, like, this is how I know I need to kind of scale up. Like I'm ready for this. And so I ended up um, finding this like really fantastic tiny little like space and it's just mine. Um, I'm not sharing it with anybody else. There's a little bathroom and it's one big room and it 
works for me right now. So I now have a brick and mortar, which is really nice because I'm able to see more clients because I have that time. And, you know, I've just kind of come to see that it, it sounds weird, but if I provide the very best service that I can, that the word of mouth kind of travels. And I always tell parents, like, I'm going to be really forthcoming with you. Um, I'm going to be very transparent with you. And I'm going to tell you all the things that I see from a clinical perspective on your child and their speech and language skills. And we're going to be in this together. And I find so many times that parents almost feel like they are I don't know, like observing an IEP rather than participating in it. And they just don't feel a part of it. And I get it. Like people in the schools are really busy and it just seems, it's like, oh, this is our fourth meeting of the day. And they just kind of fly through them and they don't understand that sometimes parents need a little bit more explanation. They need a little bit more time and it can be overwhelming. And so I have found that, you know, now that I have my brick and mortar, I have families come in, we sit down and we talk about things. And I really love that kind of aspect of it. And I find that the service that I provide, and I come at it from a place of service. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of like my calling is to provide, you know, speech and language support for these kids. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Well, you have a gift, right? Yeah. And I believe anyway that when people have gifts, it's their duty in some way to, mm -hmm. to get them out there, right? Yeah. And so in the schools, you were held back in the way that you could give the, these gifts, right? right? And so now that you have more freedom in terms of you know, who you work with, how you work with them, time, having families more involved than before, you're truly able to share your expertise and your knowledge and then also just your sort of like kind but honest way yes. with people. That, that's something you said earlier in this interview that you didn't feel that you were be able to be as honest with families mm -hmm. in terms of your recommendations and whatnot, right? right. So now you've, you've achieved um, having the ability to do that and it sounds like that also feels really good to you just from like an integrity point of view. Absolutely. And the one thing that I've kind of realized in terms of like those conversations, like, you know, sometimes we have to have really challenging, hard conversations. And sometimes parents aren't ready to hear it. And I'm telling them anyways, and they don't come back and that's okay. Yeah. So I, I've gotten to the point where I never wanted to accept clients in that I didn't feel comfortable treating. And I definitely, you know, try to, you know, bring in certain clients, but I'm okay, like repelling others. Like, mm -hmm. I think that attract and repel thing is a really big idea. And at first it was hard to be like, oh my gosh, okay, so there's a feeding kid. I'm not really good with feeding. I have some experience. Do I refer out? And then I was like, yeah, you refer out because I don't have as much experience in pediatric feeding. And I know that there's other people that could do a better job than I could at that time. And I always wanted to make sure that I'm coming at it from a really ethical perspective and I have that integrity. And it's not just about my bottom line, but it's about what's best for those kids. 
And if there's somebody else that can do better than me, please, <laughs> I will refer them to you because that's what's the most important thing is that they're getting the services that they need. Yeah. And hopefully in kind, some of those people will refer to you if they are, are you know, whatever you're, so what are you passionate? Who are your favorite clients? Oh my gosh. I love, um, like the late talking toddlers. Mm -hmm. I love like, so some of that early intervention, I love speech sound disorders. I, I love language. Um, and a lot of that social communication, like those are like my kids. Um, they're, I, I just have so much fun with them and I really enjoy um, really telling the parents what I'm doing as I'm doing it in a session. So the way that my office is set up is that there is no waiting room. And that's partially by design because I want parents to be involved. Because if you think about, so say a, a child comes to me for 30 minutes a week what percentage of their waking hours is that 30 minutes? It's like minuscule. It's so important to educate the caregivers and the parents on what we're doing and why we're doing it to explain things to them so that they can kind of provide that same level of support at home. And I'm seeing such great results from it. Um, and so parents like don't understand like a phonological process and what do you mean by that? And so as we're going through and their kids are saying something, I can be like, oh yeah, so that's part of that stopping process or the stopping process and we're going to work on that next. But right now we're still doing the, you know, final consonant deletion and, and they just, they're like, oh, nobody's ever explained it to me like that. And so it's nice to have those conversations. Yeah. And when you, when you lead with education, that's one of the things that I try to teach people to do, especially when people are nervous about marketing or feeling like they're going to be pushy with people or that kind of thing. When you help, help people understand what's going on and what you're doing, that also positions you as an authority, but not just like a, an on high mighty authority, a helpful authority, right? Someone that they can trust that's credible, that's knowledgeable, because people go to private practitioners because they want either for themselves or their loved one to get services that are, are better and faster than they would in a traditional setting, right? So yeah. that's one of the things that they are looking for. And also the parents who are bringing their, their kids to you are also invested in having them do, um, do well right? That was in, in preparation for our, for our interview tonight, I went to your website. If you would tell people the name of your website. Yeah. Simplyspokentherapy.com. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. If you go to simplyspokentherapy.com um, and you look at the tabs at the top, you have like things that people expect, you know, about and services and that kind of thing. But there's one tab in particular that I really, really liked. I've never seen anyone do it this way. And I thought it was very special. And that tab says investment. Yeah. So tell people if they are to go to your website, what, what will they find in that part of your website? And what do you mean by investment? Well, so investment, because... And, you know, it's always been this issue, like, do you put your pricing on your website or do you not? Mm -hmm. And I definitely wanted to set the tone. And it's part of that, like, attracting and repelling of letting people know that this is an investment. And it's an investment in your child's speech and language skills. But it's also really showing that, like, 
I'm invested in myself and I, you know, I have many years of experience and I continuing education and you know, it's an investment to be a speech language pathologist, you know, like continuing ed credits are not cheap these days. Um, but what I really wanted to like lay out for families is that, you know, at the time I am private pay only and I, I do have some reasons behind that and those are on that tab as well. So, so many times you get parents that will call and be like, do you accept this insurance? And how much is your session? If you are calling me and asking me about my pricing right away, that's letting me know that you might be price shopping. But where I come from it is I want you to know why I don't accept your insurance right now. And, you know, it's a, it's a really hard kind of balance for me because on one hand, my whole mission is twofold. One is to be able to help as many children as possible with their speech and communication. And number two is to educate families on speech and language because you don't know what you don't know. And so in order to help as many kids, like I think insurance might be in my future. I don't know. I really, I like being private pay right now and I have reasons behind it. So like the reason part of it is accessibility. Like I want to make sure that my services are accessible to all people. Mm -hmm. um, you do not need a, a referral. You don't need a prior authorization. Like you can come see me. There is a very, like there is no wait time. I don't have to call and get your explanation of benefits. Um, another reason is like, I don't really enjoy like the idea of insurance company having say in dictating services. Yeah. They've never met you. How do they know? It, it just, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And then also, you know, it's one of those things where insurance doesn't really cover much to begin with from what I'm hearing. And I, I want, it's, it's a time thing too. So, you know, the amount of time that I would spend on the phone with an insurance company, it could be exponential. And that time is going to eat into the amount of time that I have available to treat clients. Yes. Or I would have to spend more money to hire somebody to do my billing for me and do all of that work. And I just wanted to really be forthright with parents. And this is why I don't accept your insurance. However, if you would like a super bill, I'd be happy to create one for you. And if you have out-of-network benefits, this is how you can tap into those. But in the meantime, I'm passing that savings on to you because I'm not going to charge you an arm and a leg for services, but I want you to be invested in this process with me. Yeah. And I think that you're, that you're setting, like back to your, what you said about attracting and repelling people, right? You are setting from the get-go what, what it's like to work with you. Right. Yeah. What the philosophy, what your philosophy is. And if people are aligned with that, then, then they will work well with you and they'll be aligned with you. Mm -hmm. If they're not, then there are other private practitioners in your area that would be great for them to work with too. Right. Yep. That we want to attract the, our kind of people. Yes. Right. So it sounds mm -hmm. like you've been able to do that, you know, fairly well so far. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully that will continue. And, you know, if at some point you decide to take insurance, well, you know, there's, there's support for that. And there's mm -hmm. you know, people that can teach you the ropes on that. And a lot of private practitioners do end up, you know, taking insurance, yeah. but you know, if you can stay private pay, I think that it does have a lot of the benefits that you spoke of 
um, and that, you know, many other people, including myself, um, enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that I wanted to talk to sort of related to, to finances mm-hmm. is, um, is the book Profit First by uh, Mike Michalowicz, I think is his last name. That's it. Let, let's talk about why, how did you ever hear of this book? And um, it's one of my favorites, I'll, I'll say first. Uh-huh. And how, when and how did you hear about Profit First? And how did it change your thinking in terms of um, numbers and business, math, money? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I think like most speech therapists, we go to school to be a speech therapist. We don't go to school thinking we're going to run our own business one day. Um, And I was, you know, in the middle of starting my practice and I had this money coming in and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do with it? (laughs) Like, um, how much do I keep? How much should I spend? What do I need to save for taxes? Like, how do I make this work? And, you know, in my quest for knowledge you know I listen to a lot of podcasts and I can't remember which podcast it was but somebody mentioned the book Profit First and that it really kind of revolutionized the way that they looked at their money in terms of their business and I was like well that's kind of what I need like I need to figure out what to do with my money in my business And so I went um, and I ordered the book on Amazon and I got it and I think I read it in three days. And it absolutely blew my mind. And like, that was like my, my big takeaway is like, now I feel like I have a plan moving forward. And like the whole idea behind Profit First is that you have, because I think paying yourself as, you know, an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, every month is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So when I first started, I was like, okay, I'm just going to pay myself the exact same amount that my paychecks from the school were. And so, you know, you know, say like, it was like, you know, $1,700 or $1,500, whatever it was. And so I'm just going to pay myself that every two weeks. And then I had this other like, chunk of money that's like, what do you do with? Well, in terms of profit first, they talk about that because money is not guaranteed and because not every week or month is the same, you can't look at it as dollar amounts. You have to look at it as in terms of percentages. So you have your checking account, which is like your income account. So all of your money that you earn comes into one account and you have a hundred percent of your money at the end of the month. And that you have to divvy out that money in terms of percentages into different accounts. So they talk about having a tax account where a percentage goes to taxes, a percentage goes to your operating expenses. So that's, you know, your rent and your utilities and materials and licensure, everything that, you know, you need to run your business. Then you have a percentage that goes into your owner's compensation, which is the money that you pay yourself with. And then another percentage goes into your profit. And I was like, well, isn't that the same thing? But it's not. So, you know, you have percentages of money that go into your, you know, owner's comp, but that's like your normal pay. And then your profit account is what you kind of use as, you know, a cushion. So it could be money that you use to give yourself a bonus at the end of a quarter. It could be money that you reinvest into the business and, you know, upgrade your seating or your materials. It could be money that 
you know, you put into another account for another time, but it's money that you earn to make the business profitable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great explanation. I think that it's helpful for, I mean, I don't know how you are at um, math. I heard someone say the other day, um, speech path, no math. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was catchy. I like that. I'm terrible at math. Like I'll really, really bad. I always um, do trials of 10 because I can figure out percentages quickly and easily. <laughs> exactly. I am completely in the same boat. So what, what normal sort of business math is, right, is that you have income minus your expenses and that's your profit, right? That's, and, and then that all just kind of gets, can get a little bit muddy and a little bit confusing. And then, especially with regard to taxes, whether it's like, you know, annual or quarterly, it feels often like all of a sudden, oops, where's the money for that? Like where, where did that go or whatever? So the way that the system is set up is also to be just more intentional about money and about where things are going. And you don't, a lot of it can happen um, kind of a little bit like more behind the scenes where you don't touch like the tax money right, right into another account. And it is there for you waiting for when you need it. And because it's dedicated to that one job, when it comes time to pay quarterly taxes, you don't feel like this tremendous pressure of like, oh God, I don't have any money. Because you do. Right. It's just hidden away from your little fingers yeah. in another account. Yeah. And the other thing I like about it too is that at the end of every month, so it, the way that Mike talks about it in his book, I kind of do my own modified version of it, um, where he wants you to take your checking account and get it to zero. And like, I, I don't roll like that. <laughs> so I do like my own modified version. But at the end of every month, I take all of the money and I add it up and I put it into these little accounts. It also helps me to kind of really lay eyes on what I'm doing and where I'm at and keeping a really good, like, thumb on it. Like making sure that I'm looking like how much money did I spend this month? And I'm like, oh yeah, let's see, I have to pay my ASHA dues. But then I also had to buy the C-top and you know, all these other things. I'm like, okay, so, so maybe next month I spent more than my percentage of operating expenses and you have to balance it out. And the percentages can change too, which is what I really like. Because if you can live off of $100, you can also live off of 99 So putting 1% into your profit account, it's still going to add up. And it's always, it, it's just, it's nice to like have like a plan. Yeah. And I think that that's what it gave me. It gave me like the plan of saying like, okay, this is how you run a business and this is where you put your money and this is how you make it work so that you can be profitable because I don't want to be the type of business that, you know, I just spend my money whenever I need it and then take whatever I want. And it just feels haphazard. I want to be a successful business and I want to be able to grow and I want to have a really good, you know, foundation and a, a system in place. And I think that so much about business and success comes down to systems and making sure that you have one in place for everything that you do. We have a system for our evaluations. Like, you know, you evaluate and then here's your report template. And we kind of go, you know, like we should also have systems for the business side of it, which is something that a lot of therapists don't know how to do. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something uh, an early to go to talk about another book that was instrumental to me in the very beginning was E-Myth. 
um, by Michael Gerber. I think it's Michael. It's on my Christmas list. Yeah, that's another good one. It's, um, it's a lot about developing systems and making sure that you are running the business mm -hmm. versus the business running you. For sure. Right. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk. One of the early chapters, this isn't really giving too much away, but talks about someone who wanted to start a bakery and she was passionate about baking and she, he or she wanted to start a bakery. And so, so she did. But when you, when you're a baker in the way that this person was like making all the stuff depended on her. Right. So while baking used to be a passion, when it became the business and the business relied on her spending days, you know, I don't know, 12 hour days, 15 hour days in the kitchen, baking all the stuff she, without systems kind of grew to almost resent baking. And that was no longer fun because she had to do it, blah, blah, blah. So that book is a lot about developing systems. They, it talks a lot about McDonald's and some of the success of McDonald's and really just any franchise. They just talk about mm -hmm. McDonald's, but you know, having those systems in place and SLPs love systems. <laughs> yeah, right? we do. We love systems, right? If, I mean, we, we've got treatment plans and like, you know, we have, uh, you know, objectives and we have like long-term goals and short-term goals. Yeah. We, we sometimes have to keep in mind that we actually do have skills that transfer into being a business owner. Absolutely. Right? Like we kind of forget that. We, a lot of people have this idea like, well, I'm not a business person. I'm a helping people person. Right? Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that you can absolutely be both. And mm -hmm. you, I don't think that, um, I don't think you can really learn to be a helping people person very well. I think that that is innate and something that you're born sure. but you can learn to be a business person, even if uh -huh. you kind of lead with your heart in the whole thing. Right. But you yeah, can organize and develop systems and, and run businesses. And that's kind of how I approach like my marketing, like, I know that there are some people who always feel like so nervous about networking and getting out there and talking to people and they, they don't want to sell themselves. N number one, I'm not shy. So that has something to do with it, but I never come at it as I'm trying to sell myself. I always come at it from a place of service and I'm literally just telling you about how I serve people. And if that happens to be something you're interested in, great. If not, no big deal. Spread the word to somebody who might, you know? And I think that coming at it from that perspective makes it feel less businessy. It yeah. takes that pressure off of saying like, well, you know, how are you at networking? How are you at marketing? And what are you doing for this? It's like, you know what, I'm just out there talking to people. And when people ask me what I do, I get to share how awesome my job is that I get to help other kids with their speech and language skills. And then I also get to like tell them that speech therapists, we work on more than just the R sound. And sharing some of those things and sharing the stories. And I think even just, you know, the excitement behind what we get to do and how lucky we are to have the jobs that we have that kind of, you know, translates into, oh, wow, like she's got a really cool gig. And, and then they're telling other people about it. And Absolutely. so I never, I never come at it from like a, a, you know, like a salesy kind of pitch. I just come at it as a place of service. Yeah. And sharing, sharing your gifts. And if people want to pick your gifts up, they will. Yep. If not, they won't. No. Yeah. So, nope. 
what is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you want to share with people in terms of lessons that you've learned or things that you you know have kind of gotten into so far or anything like that yeah so I think one of my biggest learning curves um, initially was learning when to outsource mm -hmm. um, I am in the mindset of I want to try everything on my own first so that I know exactly what I'm outsourcing. Um, but <laughs> I also know when I need to stay in my lane. <laughs> so um, website development, not my lane. <laughs> so I outsource that. Um, and and my, my web guy is great. He's fantastic. Um, also like bookkeeping. Oh, my poor CPA. You know, at first, like I just outsourced. And he did it all. And then eventually he was like, Amanda, I think you can do this. And I was like, okay, talk to me like I'm five, walk me through it. And he did. And so like, those are some of the things that I'm taking on now is like some of that bookkeeping um, with QuickBooks. But I think just like knowing when there's like a, a cost benefit ratio. So like how much time am I spending trying to figure something out and doing a mediocre job versus how much would it cost me to pay somebody to do this and they would do it faster and better and kind of knowing when that's appropriate. Um, so I think that was one of my biggest takeaways um, starting off and then also too like the mindset. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's easy to be afraid and I think it's easy to be fearful, but I also think that coming from a place of saying like, you know what, like I got this, like I can do this and it might not be easy and it might not go exactly as I planned, but to be flexible in my approach and to be able to like roll with the punches and know that, you know, there might be rainy months, there might be sunny months, but to just kind of plan to kind of go with it and just know that like everything will work out. And it's really strange, but every time I have like a, a rush of clients that like graduate out, um, I always have like this little like sense of like, oh no, I just graduated three clients. Ugh, I hope I get another one. I will literally get like two phone calls. Because I will say to myself, you know what, the people who need you will call you and they will find you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there marketing, I'm talking to people, I'm attending events, I'm on social media. And I think that a lot of those things are, are really helpful and the people, they will come. They will come. You just have to put the work in. Well, and you're setting the intention yeah. that you are ready for people, the right people to find you. And I think that that you know, when you, when people do that, it does often work, right? When, yeah. when, when we stop being fearful about like, is it going to happen and watching the clock and watching the phone or watching the email, when are they going to call when some, you know, that like nervous sort of yeah. energy makes it so that, you know, it like it's, you can't permeate that. Right. And mm -hmm. so it's, you do want to, um, to, I don't know, just sort of be intentional about saying like, okay, I'm ready for people. I've graduated these three people. My caseload is up, is, is open now. You yeah. know, um, hopefully the right people, the people who need to find me now have slots available. So yeah. universe, you know, do your rank. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. This has been so much fun. I am so, I, I love your energy. <laughs> 
this is why I was a peds girl because I have as much energy as toddlers. (laughs) Well, so, so your energy has translated into passion for really helping, helping these kids, helping the parents and just, and also like just helping the profession by, by being this enthusiastic and by, by, by getting out there and in, in the course of your networking, telling people that it's not just ours that we do and that kind of stuff. And, you know, for someone who, um, who was not super happy, um, in your previous jobs, but loved the profession was Mm -hmm. a little bit just feeling like you hadn't quite found your place yet. You found your place. I did. Plan A worked. Plan A. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm sure that the listeners have gotten just tons of gems and helpful information (laughs) and motivation and inspiration from you. So thank you. Well, thank you for, for allowing us to have this community and this like place where we can all come together and learn from each other. And I learned so much from all like the seasoned veterans, like the varsity league on the Facebook group. And here I am JV, but I'm learning. I, you're going to be varsity here really soon. So, and that's part of that's, you know, for, for people who are listening, I want to tell everybody's stories, right? I want to tell the stories of the veterans who've been doing this for 30 years. And I want to tell the stories of the JV people who may be sort of newer to, to the game, but, but have gone all in and are learning a ton and are, you know, the sky's the limit for you. You know, you can do whatever you want with this. Like you're the boss now and you can go in whatever direction you're going to go. And please let's check in, in, you know, six months or something. Maybe we can do like a follow-up podcast and see how you're doing at that point. That would be fun. I'm going to start doing those. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. Have a great night. And again, thank you for sharing your, your story with everybody. How amazing is Amanda? Don't you just love her energy, her passion, and her dedication to being the SLP that families need who seek her services? Well, guess what? You're amazing too. And the chances are the more amazing you are, the harder it is to believe it. You chose this profession because you wanted to help people. But if you're feeling stuck, just like Amanda was, and you're ready to make a difference in your life and the lives of others, I want you to go to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar and sign up for the free training. I'll share all about how you can start seeing private clients on the side of your school or hospital job, just like Amanda did. So again, that's startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Stay tuned for next week where you'll hear from another regular SLP who then became a successful private practitioner. Till then. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training, 
specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I wanna teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click start or grow and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.